This is Faith. And this is Anna. And this is Let's Just Go For One, a podcast about kind of normal women talking about kind of normal things. This is our dedication to all the good feels that come from just spending even just a half hour with your bestie. All topics include celebrities, to motherhood, to marriage, to divorce, to wellness, astrology, and the latest beauty trends. Whether you're at your desk, in your car, working out, or just enjoying some alone time. Hey, Faith. Hey, Anna. Let's just go for one. Hi, Faith. Hi, Anna. (laughs) (laughs) That was the most awkward start ever. I just was your face. I pointed <laughs> to you like, oh, I we didn't even talk about who was gonna start. But when I looked up, the confusion <laughs> all over your face. Also, earlier in taping, I thought we started taping and I put my Molly Shannon voice on, and you're like, We're yeah. not taping. Yeah, like, nope, like, not there oh, yet. Okay. Not there yet. Well, welcome to Let's Just Go for One. Hello, <laughs> how are you, friend? Make sure you're following us on social media. Um, also that you're rating us more than one star on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Please and thank you. And as always, you can always email us at let's just go for one dot at gmail.com. Wow. Oh, <laughs> that was a struggle. And I think we already covered don't tweet us. Yeah, don't, yeah, don't tweet at us. We're not, yeah. No. Drink of the podcast. Um water. Yeah, water and coffee, which after listening to last week's podcast is Which very necessary. Right into our walk of shame. Walk of shame. Yeah. Um, we apologize. We kind of accidentally yeah. got a little drunk. Yeah. During the podcast. Yeah. We didn't even mean it. But I will say, however, that that is probably our most authentic podcast of what it is like when we have not seen each other in a while that was and very, we go out for a drink that is 100%. Well, I liked when you said at the end let's just go for one bottle. Yeah, that's the bottle edition. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's just go for one <laughs> bottle edition happens last week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also, wasn't great. There but... were a lot of walk of shames. I was listening I'm like, "Oh, there's another walk of shame." Well, oh, um, go ahead. So I Yikes. was corrected. So the bachelor that films in Cleveland, uh oh, uh oh, was not for the fantasy date. They oh. went to Cleveland because he had like an ex there, and they were trying to like make some drama because she was in Cleveland at the time. And they actually did a beautiful job of showcasing the city. I guess so. that sounds so messed up. Yeah. Well, it wasn't. They for purposely the f- went to Cleveland to create drama with his ex. This is the Bachelor, Anna. Yes. Oh, Welcome All to that right. world. Welcome to that world. This is why I stopped watching after <laughs> Trista and Ryan. Thank you very much. Season one. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I, I will correct that. That They didn't go to Cleveland for the fantasy date, but they did go to Cleveland for a date to cause drama. But I, I still better, question to Cleveland, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> the choice uh, of Cleveland. The choice of Cleveland yeah. is still questionable. Got it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that was the other one. And uh-huh. I'm just going to pre-apologize because, so, full disclosure, we're letting the fourth wall down. When Anna and I have time, which is very rare, mm-hmm. we decide to try to get as many of our podcasts in as possible so that you guys, as our listeners, can hopefully get these weekly or bi-weekly. Mm-hmm. So, we are actually recording this one prior 
prior to our last one actually hitting the airwaves. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm just going to do... Now you know all our secrets. Yeah, I'm just going to do like a, a, a ready apology for anybody that I may have offended in the last one because I got pretty drunk and angry. So, <laughs> I mean, listen, like I said... Well, you got real heated about the national anthem. Well, yeah. <clears throat> and I also oh, will correct uh-oh, something. Uh-oh. <laughs> if they sat down for political reasons because they wanted to make a statement, mm-hmm. I support however anybody feels when they feel passionately about something. And right. I would have supported that. I just don't support when you say that, like, oh, I didn't realize that was going on. And, and you're slamming fries. That was like probably terrible, especially when they showed like a clip of our troops in Qatar and like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm mm-hmm. all done, but I'm just going to pre-apologize for whatever comes my way in the next week after people listen to this episode. <laughs> I also can't wait to hear what you guys all thought of our listener problem. Oh my gosh. We'll be posting like what you guys think of that on our social media. Oh, you know what we should do? We should do a poll. We'll do a poll. We will do a poll and we'll put it on our story. So as our future selves, thank you for answering our poll on yeah. <laughs> what our listeners should do. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh do you have do you have a wait what? I mean it's been two days. <laughs> um I don't think I have mm. a wait what aside from the fact that I really can't handle alcohol like at all anymore mm. in any capacity. I do not like it. Yeah, no. After so we recorded Friday and I mean, if you look back on it, it was really what? It was one bottle of rosé and one bottle of Prosecco. I didn't even realize we finished the bottle of Prosecco. Yeah, we finished both of them. Excuse me, Prosex. Prosex. <laughs> we had a bottle of rosé and a bottle of Prosex. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, and I was so hungover Saturday. I was in a very bad place. And I was like, oh my gosh, we didn't even drink that. But like, I can't handle alcohol anymore. Mm-mm. It's just really, really sad. Mm-mm. So I had activated charcoal before bed. So when I woke up, I felt much better. Well, next time you're going to have to pass some of that my way. Yeah, you got it. You got it, sister. Um, I've got to wait what? And this is perfect that we're talking about um, like this is our mental health episode. Yes, this is our mental health episode. Because I had a terrible morning as a mom. This we're morning? Like, yes. We're like, you just handle everything wrong. <laughs> and I'm like, I am fucking up my kids so bad. <laughs> like, and I'm not even going to go into the whole story because it would take three years, but it, it like, it was so upsetting that like as soon as it happened and then afterwards, it was like that feeling in your stomach, like my kids are going to need therapy because of this. Right. Yeah. Like, and Uh it is the worst feeling Mm -hmm. ever. And I know like Mm -hmm. my friends who are moms have like also felt this feeling. So I wanted to, I felt like if I expressed it to the listeners, like someone would be like, I totally know that feeling. And it friggin' sucks. You want to know what? I had that feeling yesterday. I, something happened with me and my teenager. Yeah. And it wasn't that big of a deal. For us, it was like a little shift. Mm-hmm. But it was the, I think actually yesterday was like one of the first times that something, shockingly, shockingly, first time that something came out of my mouth that legitimately disappointed my teenage daughter, mm. like in how she thought of me. 
Wow. Because I said something and it was kind of not the right thing to say. And Keely can usually brush things off. Or, mm-hmm. And she actually looked at me and she burst into tears. Ugh. And she was really upset by it. And I had to like go into her room and apologize. And I apologize again. And I apologize this morning because I feel terrible. Yeah. And then as we have, you know, Brian Costello here, who is a therapist. Yeah. And he's saying things. And I'm like, oh my God, my kids totally need therapy from him because I definitely screwed them up. And he talked about, as you guys will hear, it's an amazing episode. This is like, he's unreal. Yeah. And he talks about like traumatic points in your life or like Polaroid pictures. Mm-hmm. And I'm 90% sure I caused one yesterday with my older daughter. I yeah. I and totally I have did. to live with it. I have to live with it and help her through it. But it yeah. was a terrible moment. So it's so, and I think that Like we just beat ourselves up about that stuff for so much and it's so hard. So I just wanted to take this opportunity to say, we're just, we're doing the best we can, man. We are. We really are. Yeah. And I think for me, like learning from this is like, okay, so what part about this, like, where did this go south? Where, mm-hmm. like, what could I have done? What can I do in the future to make sure that this doesn't happen again? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so hard to, like, not just constantly be like, why did you do that? That was mm-hmm. so stupid. Like, oh, right. man, especially as parents. So I just wanted to um, shed some light on that and be like, you know what? We all make mistakes. Let's learn from them instead of repeating them. Well, this brings us really nicely into our mental health episode. It really does. <laughs> One of the reasons why we wanted to do an episode based on mental health is because, well, mental health is obviously very important as well as your physical health. And we talk about our physical health all of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I talk about my spiritual health all of the time. (laughs) So it just made sense to add mental health in there. Um, But more recently, while most of you know, I've been doing yoga teacher training and it's um, focused in um, trauma-informed yoga. And So when we're learning about trauma-informed care, which we'll get to, our guest is going to explain everything for us, Um, it starts to kind of bring up some stuff for you. So I have, um, for the past few months, felt like I'm losing my goddamn mind. So I decided, you know what? Maybe now's a good time to go see a therapist. 2020. Yeah. 2020 (laughs) is the year of mental health. Yes. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So I thought, you know what? If I'm seeing a therapist, chances are a lot of people are seeing therapists. Or should be. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important. And we've always been very authentic with our episodes and to make sure that, you know, we keep it real as much as possible. So mental health is part of keeping it real. Absolutely. And, and having healthy awareness. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. And if something's wrong, fix it. <laughs> That's all you got to do. So we're super excited. We have Brian Costello here. He is a licensed master social worker. He's a substance use counselor, a coach. He does trauma-informed care, mindfulness, spirituality, and teletherapy. Correct. Yes, teletherapy. That is all true. Yep. I looked quick, then I thought it said telepathy, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I got really yeah. excited, and then I was like, teletherapy. Okay, teletherapy. Yeah. Maybe a little bad. bit of that. We don't just don't bill for it. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Ryan, so much. Yeah. Why don't you say hi and kind of give us your background? And something I think that's really cool is that Brian actually reached out to us about being on the podcast. So I kind of want you to talk about what drew you to let's just go for one yeah um well thank you for having me <laughs> yeah. um so i uh, i saw your post about having katie abrams on and um i have been to um 
you know, her meditation groups and, and, you know, they're, they're amazing. And the work that she does is really amazing. So I figured I would reach out and, uh, any opportunity that I can take to have conversations about mental health, I, I, you know, jump after. Anybody um, that comes to us via Katie Abrams is mm-hmm. a magic <laughs> angel. Just yeah. like, she yeah, is. you just yeah. pretty much name drop the best person. <laughs> yeah. It's like, aside from like maybe Beyonce, it's like Katie Abrams <laughs> yeah. is pretty much right under that. Yeah. She's like our Oprah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She is our Oprah. You mm-hmm. should try to have her mom on. <gasps> I love Linda. Linda. Yeah. Uh, really? Yeah. What does her mom do? Yeah. She's she, also in mental health. She's oh also a social worker mm-hmm. and um, has done some work with shamans and she's <sighs> she's amazing. She's Just wild. Amazing group of genetics right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. For real. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead, Brian. Sorry. <laughs> so I'm a, a, a therapist. I'm a licensed social worker um, and a KSAC. So it's a credentialed alcohol and substance abuse counselor. And I work in um, private practice at Core Mental Health Counseling. Okay. Um, Where is that located? We are located 374 Delaware. Okay. So it's downtown. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, what? I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, so tell us a little bit, like what led you to mental health? Um, so, you know, knowing that that question would be asked, I did a little writing and reflecting. And, and one of the things that really kind of popped up in my head was, um, being like 16 years old, I was handed a, a book by Deepak Chopra. Mm-hmm. It was like the seven spiritual laws of success. And, uh, and I read that book and it talks a lot about the ego and, um, and, you know, Eckhart Tolle writes a lot about the ego. Mm-hmm. And so I got tuned into this, um, different form of spirituality that I had not really been accustomed to. At 16. Um, at 16. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I, you know, I was raised, I'm Irish Catholic and, Mm-hmm. raised Catholic. And, and there were parts of, of that spirituality that really resonated with me. And this was something that um, just opened up a door that I, I didn't even know was there. Um, more like Eastern thought, kind of, I guess, new age spirituality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always had this, I guess, this thirst for something like deeper. Um, and at the same time, I had this really like self-destructive um, part of myself. And um you know, and that usually expressed through addiction. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, substance use and, and alcohol use was uh, a big part of my story and, and honestly what led to what I'm doing today. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was mostly, you know, the, the darker moments that kind of led me towards, um, you know, uh, changing um, my, I guess, my studies from fine art. I was going to fine art for, uh, for college initially. Okay. Um, and then I switched to psychology, mm-hmm. you know, and looking back at it, I, I think a lot of that had to do with, um, you teach people, you teach what you need to know. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so naturally I, you know, I, addiction was a big part of my life for a number of years. And then, um, I, you know, stopped using right around, stopped using and drinking right around 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were just major life shifts that, that would take place. And, um, you know, I got a lot more into, um, like spirituality during that time period and, but I was still very isolated. Um, so nobody, you know, my friends were not into spirituality or yoga or, you know, going to <laughs> Lilydale and, uh, you know, things like that. But I started to get into that stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, so my friends, you know, at 19, the average age of my friends were like 50. Um, you know, I started working at a health food store locally and mm-hmm. just met all these amazing people and just really got into like healing, mm-hmm. healing work and all this different stuff. And, um, 
you know, and, and I was, I lived a very healthy lifestyle and a very clean lifestyle. I became a vegetarian and I st started studying herbs and uh, eventually homeopathic medicine and, and all this stuff. And, um, there was still that part of me like that, you know, that the addict or, or the alcoholic that was kind of lurking in the, in, you know, in, in the background and, um, you know, and, and eventually, you know, it again expressed itself and, and I drank again and, and, you know, that continued for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and then I found, uh, 12 step groups. So I found, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and that's when, you know, this, again, this major shift took place in my life where, um, it was really kind of looking at that stuff, um, directly. And what age were you when you kind of went back through all of that? Like when you started to kind of drink again and then went back into like the 12 steps and the spirituality and what? So initially it was 19 mm -hmm. and then I stayed sober alone for like a little bit. Okay. Um, probably a, around a year. Okay. And then I drank, I think I drank on my 21st birthday actually is when really? I, yeah, as when yeah. I was like, I, I think I can do it now, you know? Yeah. Um, and then that lasted for a couple of years. Okay. Um, and prior to that, I had no exposure with anything related to recovery. So it was really just close the door on it, keep your feet moving and, I just thought I could, right. you know, do it, do it. And, um, you know, without, I guess, help of other people. I uh, think it's really impressive. You're saying these big shifts. And the only reason I wanted to know your age mm -hmm. is because those ages that you're dealing with that mm -hmm. are ages that most teenagers, you're a teen for a lot of it too. Yeah, yeah. You can't really deal with life anyways. Right. So right. you're saying these huge shifts. I'm like, how, wait, I'm sorry. How old were you when these things happened? Because <laughs> like, of course, like that has to be so hard because you don't have a supportive environment that's mm -hmm. going to understand that you're surrounded by people who are probably pressuring you to drink. I had a daughter yeah. at 21. It was the hardest thing ever because all of our friends were in like party college mode right. mm -hmm. and we're like, no, we have to go be parents now. And yeah. like, they're like, well, this is stupid. Just put your kid to sleep and have drinks like because that's the mindset of that age. So I think right. I'm really impressed with the fact that you even were able to have any sort of sobriety and I think it makes sense that you're going to fall back into that and like right. just because of your age I mean you were so young having to go through all of this you yeah. know yeah. and I feel like it is important too because so much which we will probably get into but you know there are so many teenagers that are having major addiction problems yeah. and I think half of that problem is not having the right environment of support that shows mm -hmm. them the way out of it and I think it's so interesting that at 16, you're reading these books by Deepak Chopra and like all the, like you had that will for it and you wanted it, but mm -hmm. you did not know how to get there. Right. right. You know, it's like you're on one side of a cliff and you're looking at it and you want that, but you're going to like fall down first yeah. a lot. Yeah. Right. So that's pretty interesting. I give you a lot of credit. I, it's you. incredibly impressive that you were able to even navigate through all of those years. And I'm happy that you did get through all of those years at a young age and come out the other side of it. I'm like, I don't even know you, but I'm super proud mm -hmm. of you because that's just very impressive. It's very hard. That's a very hard time for people to get through in general. Yeah. So add all those other things you went through. And I'm like, that's super impressive. Yeah. I, you know, I tell people when they try to sober up and, and they do it on their own, I, I usually tell them I would not recommend it. Um, right. you know, and there's a, a quote by Carl Jung. I, I wrote it down in here. Um, 
that says um, that we do not become enlightened by imagining figures of light by, uh, but by making darkness conscious. Mm. Um, so during that time period, I, you know, I, again, I just kind of closed the door on addiction and just like, just got into like new age spirituality and got a little woo woo, you know, at, at <laughs> I love 1920. So I had my fair share of crystals and, you know, incense. And, Don't go in my living room. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I, again, like workshops and sweat lodges and, you know, all this different like healing stuff. But I didn't I wasn't facing that like that darkness, you know. And, mm-hmm. and so I think sometimes people call, will call it uh, like spiritual bypassing mm-hmm. today. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, that and that sense. that was definitely and, you know, I was 19, 20, 21. So that was the best that I was going to do. Back right. Then, right. You know, um, but again, and even that is amazing. That's it's like, super impressive. <laughs> yeah. 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 Go ahead. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm glad that I, I went back and, and I, I still needed, there was still learning there for me, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then it led me to a 12 step program and, and really just people, I remember my first meeting I, I went to and it was, uh, it was all older men, um, older than my father, mm-hmm. you know, kind of early twenties. And I went home and I just cried and I was like, man, this is the first time in my life that I, I was among people that like thought the way that I thought, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so when you're going through it and you're like alone, you feel like you're completely alone. Like no one, no one on the planet thinks like you, you know? Right. Um, and then you find a group of people that don't look like you that, that have very different lives, but their, their brains work exactly the same. You know, it's pretty, it, it was amazing. That has to feel so devastating, especially like Faith said during the ages that, you were when all this was going on to like be going through all of this and not have anyone that was like you. Yeah. Like just not, not knowing where to go or who to talk to. Mm-hmm. So it's beautiful that you were able to find that. Yeah. How is, is it okay if I ask like yeah. how your family was going through all of this, like with you, like how was that with the support yeah. of like family and friends? Yeah. Um, so super supportive. Um, you know, my father is a, uh, he's a retired Buffalo police officer. Oh, nice. Yeah. And my mom, um, you know, she was, you know, they, they did what they thought they should do. Right. Um, and for me personally, I just didn't want to be reminded. Um, you know, you think about it every day at the beginning and it's really kind of like on your back. Um, so I would ask them to just like, please stop asking me, you know? And so they, I kind of conditioned them to just stop talking about it. So it just became this thing that like, you know, I think they, looking back at it, they did a lot of research. My sisters would be Googling, you know, am I ever going to get my brother back and, you know, things like that. And and so they didn't want to, I guess, burden me at that time with, mm-hmm. with all that stuff. And so they, you know, they would, um, they, you know, tell me this like years later. Um, I think if we could go back, I think we'd do it a little bit differently. You know, mm-hmm. I think we'd probably, um, you know, go to counseling a little bit more regularly, maybe as a family or, you know, just to, and they probably would have sought out counseling. Yeah. I, I think, especially my mom, you know, she had another friend my age who eventually, you know, started doing the same thing they would those two friends um or those two moms would talk you know my friend's mom and and my mother would talk and Mm -hmm. be like each other's support system and stuff um but i actually i did go to see a counselor once um during that time period and um he is a big reason that i wanted to become a a counselor and uh only because he was so bad 
Yeah. Uh, I was, you know, the first time around, I was like 19. That took a turn. I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. So I, I became a, a, you know, like a good addict. I became a counselor on a resentment. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. And so he never looked up. He never looked up from his, like, you know, he wrote Pad. a bunch of, right. And, yeah. And so I just felt so small and I felt, yeah. Uh, I just, you know, I just felt really bad uh, during that time period. Unseen. Unseen for sure. Um, oh wow yeah so kind of i was like i'm gonna save the world now and, ah, that's know. really cool that's <laughs> yeah. really cool and naive, yeah. i will say this too i think it's really hard because it seems like everything in your soul was leading you towards something bigger mm-hmm. but i will say especially in this particular area especially even locally um you know we're very strong like catholic community which Mm -hmm. is fine and also we're big drinking town i mean like buffalo is known for drinking yeah so i feel like when you think differently spiritually and when you are not someone who's ready to party party all the time especially at that age Mm -hmm. that you are going to be kind of an outcast for it whereas if we lived in different areas where it's like you know you go to la or you go to big cities or where there's a little bit more diversity even Mm -hmm. you're gonna you could have maybe found more people that connected to like what you thought in your train of thought. Yeah. But I just feel like it was probably even more isolating coming out of this area, having those type of thoughts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which had to be really hard too. Yeah. And I think that was, you know, a big reason that like my friends were older. Yeah, Um, absolutely. You know, I was hanging out with, I'd go have tea with, you know, 56 year old ladies and, um, you know, which was Were they all trying to hook you up with like their granddaughters? (laughs) Yeah. Great, great granddaughters. So like 56 doesn't seem that old right now. (laughs) (laughs) So take us on. Okay. So then like kind of lead us through professionally. So you went to school for psychology. Where'd Mm -hmm. you go to school? Um, So my undergrad is Buff State. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then when I got out, I um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do exactly, but I I initially you know switched to psychology to work in addiction. Um, so I when I finished grad school, I I had been taking this um, like three year course on homeopathic medicine, and and then I um, I started applying for jobs working um, in addiction clinics, and I got one and. Um, so this, uh, homeopathic class, I, I just couldn't balance both. Their work was like such a grind and and stuff like that. So I, I stopped doing that and, um, just worked in the field and, and then I, um, was working on getting a KSAC, which is the, again, it's the credentialed alcohol and substance abuse counselor. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I worked in addictions clinics for, um, one clinic for about two years and then, um, started in another clinic in Orchard Park. Um, worked there for about a year and decided that um, it just was, you know, there was just a lot of countertransference, meaning, um, you know, my lived experience was so similar to the people sitting across from me's mm-hmm. lived experience. And it just was weighing on me a ton. And, you know, I still had old friends that were battling this and, you know, friends started um you know, because of the heroin epidemic, friends started passing away oh, pretty geez. regularly. And and so I, it was just like too much, you know. Yeah. So I had some really supportive coworkers that encouraged me to go back to school for social work um, at UB. So that's that's where I went for um, grad school. Okay. And that group of people, um, you know, t- you talked about like finding, finding like a, maybe if we were in a different place, finding like a, a new group of people Yeah, that was find my, your tribe. Yeah. That, yeah. that yeah. was, <laughs> that was like kind of my tribe a little bit, you know, they were, 
they were rebellious and they were like mad at stuff about the system, and, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. But where I was mad about the system, I, like my mantra was like, I'll show you, I'm going to hurt me, you know? And mm, so like I was right. rebellious, but then self-destructive where they were rebellious and they're like, let's form a committee. And, and so it was all very handmaid's tale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So they, you know, it was just a group of people that uh, a lot of, a lot of them were like very into activism and, and kind of social change on like a larger scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really glad that I went, um, you know, the UB program's amazing. Um, I'm always telling people to go if they're, if they're interested in social work. Um, and yeah, so I, I had uh, been in this part-time grad school program for about three years. Uh, and throughout that time, I started doing some staff training, some like wellness training, um, mm-hmm. you know, in the clinics. Um, I worked at a, we got a grant uh, to open up a recovery center um, downtown. It was the only one in Western New York. Um, and so I was really lucky to, to be a part of that program. Um, and then I took a position doing staff training. So, um, two companies merged and, um, and the one was very exclusive to mental health and they were just terrified of addiction. So I started training all the staff about addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I took a position at, uh, an addiction treatment center inpatient. Okay. Very cool. So going back to, so this, these are all the things you've accomplished. I just would like to say, how old are you now? Yeah. 32. 30. Too, and it's you, a little baby. Is, I know <laughs> I'm you've done kidding. so much. You're obviously no. We're actually the same age. Didn't you remember? Oh, right. Yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. If you ask my kids, I'm 32. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I told them that they only get things in life if they just always say mom is 32. Is, oh, if we're basing it on yeah. that, then I'm 29 and younger than all of you. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I trained my kids to say. <laughs> so I just can't believe that at 32, and you've done all this, and you're saying like I went to college, I went to grad school, I did, and you were, you know at some points in your life battling addiction and that you have gotten to the other side of it Mm -hmm. and it didn't derail you from what you knew in your heart at 16 you wanted to be a part of. I think that's really says a lot about you too. I think that shows so much strength. I think like even all these kind of curveballs that were thrown at you for you to stay on track is, is very impressive. And I think any advice you have to offer, and I love that you're in the field you're in because I feel like people can learn a lot from that because I think it's very hard to stay on track when you have those things happening. Yeah. It almost feels like you have, um, this is maybe a crass way of saying it, but it, it gives you street cred. Mm-hmm. So if somebody comes to you, they're like, oh, okay, well, if he's been through it, I'll listen to him because he understands yeah. where I'm coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Addiction, especially people are always looking for like someone with lived experience, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I don't necessarily. And, you know, the thing that we would always say to clients when they would ask that would be like, do you need your surgeon to have experience, you know, surgery or do you need him to be like extreme or him or her to be like really good at the job? You know, so I don't think it's a hundred percent necessary, but there is some element of relatability, relatability Mm -hmm. and identification, you know, being able to identify. Well, we just said this quick and I'm just going to say it on air. I said that like when I go to a therapist, like if I go to like my, like my marriage counselor, I actually never asked her this, but like, I hope she's had eight divorces. (laughs) Like if I go to some, a therapist, that's helping me with my kids. Like I said, I hope they've had a child that's like emancipated themselves from them because I just need to go to someone who's been through it and it ended up really fucked up so they can like help me 
because I'm like, they have to be worse than me to help me through it. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's just my personal theory. Right, it's right. just for me. That's for nobody else. But like you I said, lived experience, lived yep. experience. Okay. So now, now you are at core. Yep. So I left, uh, the inpatient facility, um, learned a ton there, you know, it was a, it was a really incredible experience. Um, very difficult one, but very incredible experience. And then, finished school and, uh, sat my, sat for my license and then, uh, reach out to core mental health and have been there, um, you know, ever since. And, um, it's been, you know, private practices, private practice has been the goal, you know, mm -hmm. since the beginning and it's a little surreal. Um, you know, my brain hasn't caught up with it yet. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah. It's, so you're it's in a private awesome. practice and also do you still do social work? Yeah. So social work is, uh, that's my degree and then, okay. uh, my license. Um, and then I have the, you know, the credential for substance use. I know you have um, so many things after your name. I'm you just do. Like, <laughs> you've got like the entire alphabet. I'm like, so which one do you do? Yeah. <laughs> all, all of all, them. All, he so does we're, all of them. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're counselors there, counselors or therapists and, yeah. um, you know, and, and it's just based on like who's sitting across from me is, is yeah. what I do, you know? Cool. He does all the things. Mm -hmm. All the things. Okay. <laughs> uh, so one thing that Core Mental Health does that I kind of love and something that you are um, – it comes after your name is um, <laughs> trauma-informed care. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about what trauma-informed care is? Yeah. So um, the University of Buffalo does a really good job. I mean, it's every class they're talking about trauma mm -hmm. and trauma-informed care. So it's, um, you know, the best way or the, I guess the simplest way to explain it is – when you're looking at human behavior, instead of saying like, why are you doing this? Um, a trauma-informed care like lens would be um, what happened to you that you're, that you're doing this, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it's looking at trauma and then looking at the person's, um, they always say it's like abnormal or it's normal experience, normal behaviors for abnormal experiences. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so even like things like substance use, you know, what, what is the, I guess the trauma or the disconnect, you know, that's taken place in that person's life. Right. That's kind of led to it. Mm -hmm. um, so I work in public health and we are seeing this coming all over the place, especially when it comes to chronic disease, looking mm -hmm. at chronic disease or even um, health behaviors. Like I work in tobacco control. So yeah. when we look at smoking and we look at the highest rates of smoking and who's doing it and it's all, you know, low socioeconomic status, you know, it's all people under the poverty le level. So the people who can least afford to smoke are the ones who are smoking the most. Mm -hmm. And it's like this, um, when you look at chronic disease and when you look at um, these behaviors, it's like it, the common denominator here is stress or trauma. Right. Right. So it's really interesting. So I think um, one thing that I've learned is kind of redefining trauma mm -hmm. because I feel like when people hear that, they assume like something catastrophic has happened to right. them, yeah. but it's not necessarily something like that. It's whatever's traumatic to you. So if something happened to you as a kid, mm -hmm. it's not how you view it as an adult. It's how right. you viewed it when you were a child. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I always explain to clients to help them um, explain that part is mm -hmm. that our memory is like a motion picture. So we're, you know, I was four at some point and I was seven at some point and now I'm 32 and I'm aware that I'm 32. A traumatic memory, which again, it could be anything, you know, anything that was traumatic for a young person, which could include, you know, parental divorce. It could include um, being embarrassed, you know, mm -hmm. in in, mm -hmm. in uh, elementary school class. Like maybe when you lost the sixth grade spelling bee because you spelled safari wrong, like yes, that, something definitely. like that. Yeah. Very specifically cool. that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, uh, man. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't seem you, fine. Yeah. <laughs> you may, you I will may never spell safari wrong again. Yeah. I'll tell you that much. You got a lot of safari animals, too, in this room. I don't know. It's like, it's very, it's okay. All right. It's like a, it's creeping its way back out here, yeah. I feel. Yeah. It's fine. That'll be my next vacation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. So those those memories, like, you know, the misspelling of safari <laughs> yeah. is is more it's like a, you, yeah, it does. So it's more like a Polaroid. So it gets like stuck in time mm-hmm. you know, because we are, you know, we, yeah. I guess the way that like memory consolidation works is it consolidates that information based on like the emotional state that you're in in that moment, you know? And so if that stuff goes unresolved, you just kind of, your brain is, you know, moving forward and. And then things can happen like in real time where it will trigger some of those memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a that's really, fun. I, that's such a great metaphor though. Like your life is a motion picture and the trauma or Polaroids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting too is like, it can even come up like you could be triggered by something and not actually remember what happened that is actually right. triggering yeah, that too. Right. But your body remembers. Right. I feel sure like does. trigger is the word of 2020 because I keep hearing it all yeah. the time lately, mm-hmm. but it's such a great word because it is so accurate for what things do. And in the past, I'm always like, I couldn't come up with that word. I was mm-hmm. like, what, you know, and now it's like, it's everywhere. Yeah. And it's, it's I, the new pisses me off. It is. It's like <laughs> that triggers me. I'm like, okay, when you say trigger, I can actually then totally define it as something that it just brought up something from your past that brings out a side of you that you is not ideal. Yeah. But like instead of pisses me off or makes me mad, like trigger, I think it's such a great word. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. Like emotionally, mm-hmm. I think that's an, an emotionally triggering moment. Ugh. Mm-hmm. I live for that on reality TV. <laughs> I have to say, though, I feel like in in the mental health space, though, I feel like that word is being overused. Like, I feel like mental health professionals are like, don't say that word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. So what word should we use? I mean, you know, I, I feel... X, Y, Z about this rather than like, I'm, stop. You know, no, don't make me feel things. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> She's yeah. still triggered so, by Safari over yeah. here. Yeah. Well, I don't know why you'd even say that word. <laughs> I don't know why you would do that. But that's true. All the kids on Vanderpump use the word trigger. So I feel like mm-hmm. that's probably why I like it and why you no longer like it. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> now it's like Hollywoodized. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> can you kind of like take us through like trauma informed care? Like what? What is different about that versus like um, dealing with somebody who has not gone through trauma? And I mean, it kind of feels like we've all been through a little bit of trauma. Yeah. I mean, I think so. The longer I've been in the field, I don't, I don't know. I haven't met somebody yet that hasn't. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, and it, you know, it, it, really matters like again like we kind of talked about like the age and so mm-hmm. what was traumatic for what's traumatic for a 32 year old is you know may not have or what was traumatic for like a seven-year-old may not be traumatic for a 32 year old so right. i don't know too many people that haven't you know had some sort of um of these like moments in life where it really maybe changed their perception of themselves you know or affected their self-esteem or self-worth and you know those could be you know traumatic events and then there are like you know trauma, trauma. So mm-hmm. things like childhood sexual abuse and, right. um, right. you know, abuse in general or, you know, mental health of a parent or substance use of a parent, um, incarceration of a parent, you know, they, one of the biggest studies they've done on, 
um, childhood trauma is the adverse childhood experience. Um, you know, what is that? I'm sorry. And so there's, there's about 10, um, identified adverse childhood experiences in the study. Oh, okay. okay. So they do this quite a huge questionnaire and it's, it's one of the biggest studies on trauma. And then also they, known as ACEs. The ACE. So yeah. you really hear okay. ACEs thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. So your okay. a, and then it would be your A score. Okay. Um, so your high, the higher the A score, the more likely to develop, um, you know, mental health for yourself, um, substance use, smoking. Um, I actually wrote some of these down. So it's obesity, addiction, mm-hmm. missed work, heart disease, cancer, stroke, broken bones. Uh, anxiety and depression, um, suicidal thoughts, um, and ideation, as well as um, even STDs. And this is a test your kids can take. Just to, is this you can take it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's if anyone you, can take if it. If you look it up online, it'll just give you a. It's a short ten. Um, I might. I might take it. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. like as soon as we're done with us. <laughs> yeah. Um, just say, what was that test again? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I might take it and also might make my husband and my children. I'll take it. We're all going to see where we land on this. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And once you take it, you'll have a pretty good idea where your kids land. Yeah, that I'm fearful. Maybe I should have like them go first and <laughs> <Yeah>. go last. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's so important because it, like, it, it's literally like eight to ten questions. Yeah. And I mean, all those things he just listed off. Yeah. Like, it really, it really kind of lends goes back to the story of like mental health is so important. Yeah. Yeah. So important. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I got a lot of opinions on this. I'm just Mm -hmm. trying to reel it in right now. So (laughs) kind of going into like our next topic, Mm -hmm. which I think you segued with listing all that is like the role of stress and trauma in mental and physical health and like disease and the things it can cause. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, So I like to provide just education to clients and, um, you know, and, and so one of the things that I quote a lot now and, um, my girlfriend, I can hear her as she listens to this rolling her eyes, um, (laughs) she hears it so much, uh, but it's, uh, polyvagal theory. Oh, right. Yeah. So polyvagal theory and, and they would definitely talk about this in yoga training. Mm -hmm. Um, so it has to do with the vagus nerve, Mm -hmm. um, which is a nerve that connects to your limbic system in your brain and then all the way down your spine. And all the vagus nerve nerve endings are connected to different things like your face, your heart, your gut. Um, and so it has to do with the fight or flight system. So it used to be the fight, flight, and freeze. Um, so they've, um, they're kind of in two different categories. So it's now it's fight or flight, and then freeze is a separate system. Okay. Um, so it's almost like a system shutdown, um, or they would call it immobilization. Okay. Um, and so there are actually three parts and that, so there's fight or flight, which if you can picture, um, sometimes they'll refer to it as like the polyvagal ladder. So the middle of the ladder would be fight or flight. The Mm -hmm. bottom of the ladder, which would be like system shutdown would be, um, immobilization. Mm -hmm. Um, and then above fight or flight would be what they call social engagement. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be, that's kind of that feeling of like being warm and fuzzy, close and connected to people. Oxytocin is being released. Um, and so you're just calm, comforted, and you can co-regulate. So your central nervous system can regulate with other people's central nervous system when you're in that state. Okay. Um, and so, you know, chronic stress, the impacts of it would be just, we kind of live in chronic stress. Right. You know, our, our culture does not, is not very conducive to, you know, calm and relaxed states. <laughs> At all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm on my like fourth coffee today. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> 
So, you know, the impact of just chronic stress is sometimes hopping back and forth between that fight or flight into freeze, um, you know, I'm back to fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's just chronic stress and, and, and it has to do with when you're in chronic stress, it has to do with your body's ability to produce hormones, um, to deal with the real or perceived threat, you know, and if the real or perceived threat is like a deadline or a predator, or it doesn't really matter, your body's producing the energy and the fuel, um, to get that done. So if you never really rest, you're just always, your body's always producing like cortisol and adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you get into this place where if that threat doesn't go away, so like the mortgage payment doesn't go away or the, the relationship stress doesn't go away, you'll find yourself moving into, Uh, a state of like system shutdown, you know, which affects immune system, it affects your digestion, and you just kind of, you know, and you don't have to stay there, but, you know, it'd be kind of the feeling of like immobilization. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That was a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, the, the, the thing that I think is really empowering is there's a part of your brain, they call it neuroception, but there's a part of your brain that's interpreting this information based on the signal that it's getting from your from your body. Mm-hmm. And so neuroception has to do with awareness of what's happening on the inside of my body, <clears throat> awareness what's happening between us three right now, so the bodies of others, and then our uh, environment. And so if you're in this state of like hypervigilance or fight or flight, your thoughts are going to be interpreting that information or your environment, like um, almost anxiety thoughts, like worry thoughts, Mm -hmm. chronic worry, chronic fear, things like that. And if you're in that state of immobilization, you're going to have your, you might find yourself having these thoughts of like hopeless, helpless, feeling stuck. It's going to be like this forever, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, By the way, I want to apologize. I'm sitting here, my arms are crossed. I'm like, that's a very not nice body language to put off right now. I'm just cold. (laughs) I was thinking it was a little cold in here. But I now on that note, I will say that when you walked into the house, I feel like the energy level was really nice, Hmm. like a lot calmer. Which is nice because Faith and I could use that. So, <laughs> you weren't here. Fr- well. We need you Friday night. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we needed you Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> so when we're talking about all this, I feel like this can start to feel a little heavy and it can make people feel almost like that whole hopeless thing that mm-hmm. you were talking about. So the important thing is that there are ways to kind of rectify it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Let's, get Let's talk that. about that. Yeah. yeah. Let's bring a little ray of sunshine into Mm -hmm. this. So what are some ways we can work through our trauma? Yeah. um, So EMDR, which um, stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Mm -hmm. Um, It was started by Francine Shapiro. Um, So I'm actually going to do the training at the end of the month. Um, One of the therapists, Nicole, Mm -hmm. um, at CORE Mental Health Counseling, um, does EMDR therapy currently. Um, I, you know, I, I can speak about it as a consumer of EMDR. Mm -hmm. Um, I, it was absolutely incredible. Um, it is like spiritual healing, shamanism, weird stuff meets like therapy and it's evidence-based and really, right. Yeah. I I will say that I just started it. Like literally we just had like a practice session and I was like, I didn't know I felt these things. Yeah. (laughs) Like what is happening here? So wait, I know that no one can technically until you're done with your, your course, like really like teach it, but like exactly what is it? Like what makes it so different from other forms of therapy? So it's, it uses eye movement to go back and forth and, and you, you first will start with like a target. So it would be like Mm -hmm. a memory. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then, you know, it has a lot to do with kind of core beliefs associated with those memories and how real that feels in your body. And then you start there and there's usually something that goes back and forth with your eyes. Um, and again, it sounds a little woo-woo, but it's evidence-based therapy. Um, they use it a lot of times with um, PTSD. Um, really? And, and veterans and... Um, you're kind of going back and forth and all of a sudden you just, you have these memories that will go back, you know, and then the therapist will pause and then they'll say, so what's coming up and you'll tell them what's coming up. And then, and then you start again and you go back even farther Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you get to this, you know, this like core memory and it could be something very small, like, um, you know, like being embarrassed, Mm -hmm. you know, um, or, you know, whatever memory that is. And, and all of a sudden, you know, the little connections that you make that you don't know that you're making right. you know, from years and years ago that end up um, influencing your, your behaviors of today. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. Wow. That's mm-hmm. really cool. I feel like you just added on to the session I just had <laughs> and now so much makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, and so what are some other uh, therapies that you can use as well? Yeah. Um, so if, you know, if you are looking for somebody that's specifically trauma trained, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you go on there, like psychology today, or you look up websites, um, psychology today, by the way, amazing website. Yeah. Yeah. A huge list of, of therapists in the area. Um, you know, you'd want to find somebody that's trauma trained. I would probably recommend EMDR mm-hmm. um, only cause I could speak to that. You know, I, right. I went through it and it's, you know, so, so powerful for me. Um, but things like trauma focused CBT is, is another CBT is. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, progressive counting. Um, what some, is that? progressive counting is, um, again, I can't really speak to that cause I don't have specific training in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's a similar, from what I know of it, it's a similar form of trauma therapy and they, and they will use like counting and like retelling the story, oh. uh, the traumatic story. Um, and then somatic experiencing. So I, I don't have a training in this, but I, um, you know, am obsessive by nature and listen to a lot of podcasts about <laughs> anything that I will get into. Um, and this is one. And I went to like a one hour training, maybe an hour and a half on this. And uh, it's pretty powerful. And, and just witnessing the somatic experiencing therapist be very, sit very close to the, to the, you know, client. And this, it was like a mock you know, session. So it was somebody in the audience and, and they just sit with like how they feel. And the therapist is very tuned into the body movements of the other person or the fact that like you pointed out that I was sighing, you know, or taking deep breaths. And Mm -hmm. so it would be things like that, you know, um, and just noticing what's happening in your body, bringing, bringing your attention, your awareness back into your body. Um, and, and then just kind of, um, you know, looking at the the traumatic memory from that perspective. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know anything about that. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, One thing that we learned about was um, parasympathetic breathing, Mm -hmm. which, so my oldest son has anxiety Mm -hmm. and I learned about this. I don't even remember where I learned about this, but um, I started doing it with him and he loves it. What is that? He, so it, do you want to talk about it or? It's breathing. Yeah, it is breathing. Yeah. But so your inhale is half the time of your exhale. So if you're breathing in for three, you're exhaling for six. Oh, okay. And I, we were in the car the one day and I got irritated and like I I was irritated with the car in front of me. And then my younger son started yelling about something. Mm -hmm. He just randomly yells about stuff all the time. 
And my older son was like, hey, I think everybody needs to breathe in for two and out for four. <laughs> oh, and I was I like, love that. oh, yes, let's yeah. do that. That's a great idea. Although That's sometimes awesome. when he says it, I'm like, don't throw that back in my face. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But and, it is so helpful. Yeah. Like I find I do it now, like almost every day. Yeah. Whenever like I start to get worked up about something, I was about to go zip lining and I used it the entire time we were hiking up to the place <laughs> that we were going to. And I was like, hey, it totally worked. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot that you can do just, and I think, you know, one of the reasons that, so you said it, it, this started to kind of feel like heavy, you know, when we mm-hmm. start talking about mental health. And I mm-hmm. think a big reason is because we don't talk about mental health. You right. Know? So for yeah, me, true. I was like almost yeah. like surprised that like there was this comment about it feeling heavy and I'm mm. like, oh, this is not heavy, you know, but it's because I talk about mental health all the time. Right. You know, and it's just right. not a topic that people talk about. Um, so I think, you know, some of that is just becoming aware of what's actually taking place in between your ears and like mm-hmm. in your body and. Um, you know, and, and, and then once you become aware of it, then there are, there are things that we can do to, to feel better, right? You know, including just breathing, you know, square breathing is another one. What's square breathing? Square breathing. You breathe in for four seconds, you hold it for four seconds, um, you breathe out for four seconds and then you hold it for four seconds. Oh. So it's basically, it's your body. So your brain is, is telling your body, you know, whether to be stressed or shut down or socially engaged, but then your body is also responding, um, which there's more neurons from my understanding, going back up to the brain from the body. And so the body can, you can use your body to calm your mind. Um, wow. Yeah. That's so cool. It, I mean, the whole mind body connection is mm-hmm. so fascinating mm-hmm. and like people just, a, a lot of people don't have any idea how powerful it really can be. Or we're disconnected from our bodies. Right. Mm-hmm. Big time. Yeah. Thousand percent. 100%. That's why if you haven't listened to our body scan um, f- with Meditation Katie Abrams, Katie yes, Abrams. please do. Mm-hmm. It's back in season one and really just reconnecting to your body. And, to, and I feel like this is why for me, like I'm getting so connected to it with the yoga training mm-hmm. and then learning about trauma-informed care. And it's bringing up stuff and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Like, but it is like... We're so easy, like we're so quick to like slap a bandaid on stuff and mm-hmm. then move on. Yeah. And we don't allow ourselves to just sit with our feelings. Yeah. Like if something feels shitty, just acknowledge, you know what? This feels shitty. Mm-hmm. And then you can work from there. Like it, it, I just feel like we're so quick to be like, no, I feel shitty right now. Let me do something to make myself feel better. Mm -hmm. Or like the whole self-medicating thing where, you know, then that turns into addiction. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it really, like, I'm so glad we're having this conversation right now. Yeah. I really am. And, and kind of like Eastern thought or like Buddhist psychology will say that the brain is in a constant state of seek pleasure, avoid pain. Mm. And so our, we have the ability to like, kind of take the elevator to the top floor and just live through our thoughts, you know, right. and really just kind of disconnect from our body. And, you know, and I always tell clients, our body's like a, a warehouse of emotions. So the stuff that have gone unprocessed, mm-hmm. you know, the body starts to become like an uncomfortable place. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people are not even, there's, we're so disconnected from our body that we just don't even, we don't even know, you know? Right. And so, yeah. and Yeah. It's like, and I feel like this is when people like stop following like their gut feelings about things. Yeah. And they do things that don't feel good. Mm-hmm. And 
then they're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Like just, Mm -hmm. I think just trusting yourself and trusting that your body and your intuition is like reacting a certain way for Mm -hmm. a reason. I just read a quote and it said, your gut feelings are actually your guardian angels. Oh, I Mm. love that. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) One thing, when I started doing meditation, so I just had this conversation with a friend yesterday about meditation and she's like, I am so all over the place. Like I cannot focus long enough. So Mm -hmm. for me, having a guided meditation is very helpful because it kind of, you know, gives you one thing to focus on and you're just listening to the person's voice. Um, So one, I can't remember if it was in one of Katie's meditations or if it was um, someone else that I follow, but they were saying during the meditation, like when thoughts come in, like oftentimes people think meditation is about, you know, you have no thoughts whatsoever Mm -hmm. and like that it's impossible for that to happen. So when these, it's what you do with the thoughts. So again, it's acknowledging them, like just seeing like, okay, this thought came in and, um, this person used the visual of taking that thought and putting it on a bookshelf Mm -hmm. to think about later and then coming back to your breath. Or coming back to like feeling your body where you are right now. Yeah. And that was so helpful to me. So I like to share helpful things for people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, makes, it makes me think of, um, you know, again, in like Buddhist psychology, they, uh, or, it, it, you know, in Buddhism in general, they say um, the root cause, one of the root causes of suffering is uh, a misidentification of what we really are. So we're identified as our thoughts mm-hmm. versus identified as like the awareness behind the, the, the thoughts. Hmm. Like consciousness itself. Yeah. Right. So we're always, we're wrapped up in this like nonstop thinking, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like I start to believe that I am my thoughts, you know. And so when I ask people, you know, we do, I've done guided meditations over the years. And, you know, one of the things that people will say when I say, have, you know, have, has anybody done meditation before? And, you know, what's the struggle with it? And, people will say, you know, I can't stop my, my brain from thinking in mm-hmm. order to meditate. And I always say, it's like, it's like thinking that you have to stop your heart from beating, you know, in order to meditate. Like our brain thinks that's what it does. It's just, we are not our brain. That's its job. Yeah. Yeah. It's there to keep you safe. Kind of going into like our last topic we have here too, because mm-hmm. I think it kind of segues nicely. Right. Uh, oh, actually, are there any other um, therapies that you wanted to discuss? Um, I mean, there's, you know, just talking about your story can be really, really helpful. And and, you know, support groups for trauma and mm-hmm. just ge- in general health, you know, general mental health, you know, I think, um, I think that we don't have to have had an, a tra- traumatic experience to go see a therapist mm-hmm. or a coach or mm-hmm. a support group or, you know, anything like that. Um, I think, I think mental health can sometimes be put into a very small box, mm-hmm. um, but everybody has mental health. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Yeah. I actually had a conversation with a mutual friend of ours a few months ago and we were talking about, um, um, like parenting and we were talking about some struggles that we were having and she was so right. She's like, nobody talks about this stuff. And I feel like, mm-hmm. especially now in the age of social media where everybody is so busy trying to be Kim Kardashian, <laughs> like nobody, like it's almost like this whole one upper thing going on with yeah. social media Then nobody talks about the shitty stuff. And then you feel so isolated yeah. and so alone because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you think that no one else is doing this or if it's a parenting issue, like, something's wrong with my kid. I messed them up. Like, how do I fix this? I think it's why one of the reasons that was actually a huge factor into why we decided to do this podcast is because Anna and I very much keep it real. Mm -hmm. And we, again, like 
how I'd like my therapist to be. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we have fucked up along the way. <laughs> and in our podcast, <laughs> we talk about it. Yeah. And we had yeah. a whole parenting episode where we talked about all the struggles we have and we laid it all out there because we looked at each other from the beginning and we said, if we're not 100% honest, we don't have a podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of people that, like you said, where like people aren't talking about things or pe- when we had the sex episode, we didn't talk about, oh, sex is amazing. It's amazing. It's enjoyable. We were like, okay, well, these are all the reasons why we're not having it. And these <laughs> are all the reasons why we can't have it. And these are all <laughs> the reasons why we have trouble having it. And like, you know, we talked about all the honest parts of it that mm-hmm. like m- maybe it's not glamorizing it. Maybe it's not this great thing, but it's the truth. And I think there are so many people that are like looking for that human connection of realistic expectation of their life. And I think it's one of the reasons why like it inspired us to do what we do yeah. is to put it out there in a very real way. Mm-hmm. Um so I feel like, you know, we don't give a shit. Yeah, we don't care. <laughs> we don't care. Um, but, you know, when you relate to someone or, you know, someone that's been through it, that is also in its own way, a form of therapy. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is all good. This is all taking care of our minds mm-hmm. and yeah. bodies in, in return. <laughs> yeah. So going on to the last topic, which I think is really important, which we kind of have touched upon is like, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about therapy. We're talking about mental health and it's not a conversation, even in 2020, that a lot of people are comfortable with. Right. And I would say of the people who are even comfortable with having the self-awareness of acknowledging mental health, even fewer percentage of that is males or mm-hmm. are males. So I think it's really great that you're here and that you're talking about it. But I definitely know one of the topics we had is like men probably also need to be aware of this and there we only have three male listeners but mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe we'll have more Hi guys <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> call. they probably stopped like a long time ago yeah. tell your partners to listen to this episode <laughs> but i know anna had written this down so i don't know if you want to like kind of oh no i want it so having boys like mm-hmm. this whole toxic masculinity thing where mm-hmm. you know I feel like, especially in my generation, our generation, whatever, mm-hmm. you guys aren't that much younger. Um, <laughs> but it's this whole, like, men can't show emotion type right. of thing. We're like, yeah. oh, if you, because I even see it now. So my kids are in sports. And if they start crying, it makes people so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this does not directly affect you. What do you care? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's crazy. And I I hate that. And that's the one thing I tell my kids. Because they will get really embarrassed when they start crying because it's like, it's just part of the culture. And Mm -hmm. I feel like it is starting to be broken down. Yeah. And like, I am starting to see like more men like you who are like more in touch with themselves. Mm -hmm. But I think that's really scary for a lot of guys. Oh, 100%. Super scary. So intimidating, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And like my husband is a fantastic guy and he grew up in an Irish Catholic house and they don't talk about anything Mm -hmm. like they love there's a lot of love there's a lot of support there's their amazing family but like like you said right when dan would go through hard times he wouldn't talk about them and a huge issue for us in our marriage was breaking down that communication wall of like if something's wrong if you don't tell me i can't help you and if you don't acknowledge it you can't help yourself Mm -hmm. right and i mean even as like soon as like last week there was an issue and he was holding it holding i'm like if you don't 
acknowledge it. We can't fix this. But if you just say it, there's probably a solution. Like Mm -hmm. it's such a simple thing to me. Right. But to him, even just to admit something, it's like, and then Susie, as as he admits it, he's like, feels a thousand percent better. I'm like, well, then just do this, this, and this, and we're good. And he's like, oh, you know, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, and (laughs) it's the same concept where like, there's so much I have learned in the past six months, just with Anna because she's so in tune to that and the guest we've had on and Katie mm-hmm. Abrams. And there's so much that I'm learning that I'm in tune telling him like, you should be going to Katie Abrams. You should be doing these things. Like right. you need this because he is this like little fist event up emotion that mm-hmm. he doesn't really ever kind of relax or do, let that out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's so unhealthy. And I see it. I see him all the time. I tell him all the time, I'm like you're going to have a heart attack or something's going to happen. Yeah. And it's because like, you're just like going, it's, I tell him all the time. He's like a car that if your car is constantly running on empty and it breaks down, that's why. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you are like that emotionally because he doesn't have that kind of like access to that self-awareness emotionally. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to get guys on this train because I think they almost need it even more than women do Uh because they've been trained for a lot of their life, like you said, to hold that in. So what advice would you even have like for guys out there or I don't know, or what you have seen in your line of work that would help with men? Yeah. I mean, you're kind of like a unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I can definitely speak firsthand, um, you know, as a, as a male and that's dealt with mental health and substance use and and also just working in the last almost 10 years, you know, with, with a lot of men. Um, so I asked this question in like group therapy, um, you know, over the years I've asked this question, um, pretty frequently. And, And the question is, where do you experience your emotions? You know, in self, where do you experience your emotions? So I would ask you guys, where do you think, what would be your answer if I asked, like, where do you experience your emotions? Uh, my neck and my shoulders. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> like my heart or my head. I don't know. I don't know if I experience it in my body. So the way that I interpreted you saying that mm-hmm. is like <laughs> when I am really stressed out, it is like all right here. Your shoulders. Like even today, I had a really stressful morning and I was like, oh, God, here comes. Here comes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, that's yeah. totally where I feel it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I ask that question in a group, you know, a co-ed group, the majority of the women in that group will answer and they'll say like, I feel it in my heart. I feel it in my gut. I feel it in my shoulders my jaw. And so the body, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Almost every guy I've ever asked that question to, their answer is my mind. What do you mean? My mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we don't experience pain. You can get a headache, but our pain, our, our brain does not have any like pain receptor. So we're not experiencing any really sensation in your brain. Um, And so, you know, it just kind of points at the fact that like men especially are very, very, very disconnected from their feelings. Mm -hmm. And the way that a lot of times when men come into my office, they approach their emotions like a like a problem that they need to just solve rather than be able to just really kind of like hold space. So there's this movement, you know, for for men that that we redefine, like, what does it mean, you know, to be um, a, a male in our our society and you know, and one of the things that they talk about quite a bit and that I'm really on board with is the ability to hold space mm-hmm. for other people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so if my girlfriend's talking about her 
her day and you know she needs to just vent i don't then turn around and say well here's what you need to do with your supervisor and like mm-hmm. you know just look at it like a puzzle and just really be able to just kind of sit there and not say anything really and just like hold space be present this you know, is a container very similar to men are from mars women are from venus mm-hmm. that's like the whole thing of the book is like men think that women talk to them about things and they want the man to fix it mm-hmm. and that's not they just want to be heard that's yeah. it and I think I think a lot of that has to do with um, I don't think men are we're not really taught um, like culturally. You kind of talked about you know in sports mm-hmm. already starting to see that with your son, but culturally I don't think we're um, taught how to interact with these parts. But I no. would say even yeah. a step further, we're taught not to. Yes, mm-hmm. and, agreed. Mm-hmm. And so I you know I'm writing this article about men's mental health right now, and I started to interview some of my guy friends and. And ask them, you know, what's some barriers? What do guys deal with? You know, from your perspective, what are some barriers to reaching out for help? And, you know, and and one of their response was, um, you know, I think I would know there was something wrong by now. You know, he's early 30s and, um, you know, and, and I think that someone would have told me. And the other thing he said is that he he's like, I know it's your job, but like I if we're being honest, I, I view it as a weakness. You know, that there has to be really something wrong. That's um, kind of how my husband is. Like yeah. when he holds that in, it's not, it's because he thinks he, he has to be <clears throat> strong. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's why it's not, right. you know, he's like, oh, no, there's strength and like being able to remain stoic and strong and amazing, right. Right. even though you're dealing with stress and anxiety. And right. that's why he holds it in. It's not yeah. out of anything other than he's trying to be strong. Right. He thinks that's strength. Right. Which is stress is just. It's biology. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not a weakness or addiction is not a weakness. There are chemical changes that take place in the brain. Right. Um, Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think there is this idea that we have to um, kind of suffer in silence and, you know, just handle it and deal with it. But, you know, the the thing that we have to recognize is that it's taking place. So like if if you are really tuning in and looking within, you're going to start to see that your body's under immense stress. Check in with your chest. Does your chest feel tight? Mm-hmm. Uh, check in with your gut. And, and so if we are, you know, then how do you survive for this long? If you're never addressing all the stuff and say your body is this warehouse of emotion, you have to tap out from your body. You have to disconnect from your body. Most of the time when I see men in my office, it's because the ways in which they've addressed or dealt with or avoided their emotions are the consequences are starting to outweigh the benefits. So that's things like addiction or, um, you know, so any, any kind of substance use workaholism, you know, just work more. So you never have to sit still with yourself, you know, and, and eventually you kind of just sever ties emotionally. Um, and then, and then, you know, a huge reason that men come in and, and talk with me is feelings of loneliness, which make absolute sense. If you're never, if you never really feel like there are entire parts of yourself that are never empathized with mm-hmm. because you can't empathize with them, you can't hold space for yourself. Um, then it's just the, the outcome is just feeling very disconnected from people, very lonely, you know. If there was like a clap track. Oh my like God, it. for real. I would have like, put this like a amazing. sound. Thing. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. You like nailed every point. Yeah. Yeah, That was amazing. That was beautiful. But I do feel like, I mean, the upside to that is that I do feel like that there's like this new wave of men coming in who are like more in tune to that stuff. And And I also think, oh, I'm so sorry. 
No, that, interrupt you. No, you're fine. I was just going to say, like, for me, it's important for me having boys that I'm raising them that way. Mm-hmm. We're like, don't hide your feelings. What is that going to do? Right. Like, that's not, it's just, I tell them that um, it's it better out than in. I mm-hmm. learned that from a good friend of mine. <laughs> but I'm like, if you keep it in, then it just festers and it becomes something much, much bigger. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if you talk about it right when it's happening, or even take a take a day to think about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm like then if you talk about it, you get it out, and then you, it, it's not you get the icky out. That's what I say. Yeah, you get the icky out, and then it doesn't stay in there. And mm-hmm. for all the female listeners like myself, like let's like if you're in a relationship or you're a mom or you have a man in your life in some way, let's face it, we can be the neck that turns the head. So the more that we're learning about mental health and we're learning solutions and we're learning what these guys could use, then start pointing them in the right direction to help them. Because it's like sometimes guys just need to know it's okay. So if you tell them it's okay and you're saying this is okay and you're giving them the green flag because sometimes they feel like you wouldn't do that even though they've never asked you. <laughs> um, but well, I feel you're like, creating space for them. Yeah, I think like doing that for them is really important too because, you know, I feel like women can really help them. So the more that we're becoming knowledgeable and in tune and accepting of this. I believe I think, that the millennials call it woke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that that will eventually have a domino effect on the men. Yeah. Right. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to kind of polyvagal theory and that system shutdown is I think there were generations of men, you know, and this is not my ideas. This is, you know, part of men's writing and men's psychology, but there were generations of men that were removed from the home through like war and mm-hmm. industry and they would come home and they would be shut down, you know? And, and so there's entire generations of men that were just, kind of emotionally unavailable, mm-hmm. which create more generations of emotionally unavailable men. And and if you're looking at just the biology of this, it's, you know, if, if you're in fight or flight, if you're stressed all the time for a really long period of time, but there's no outlet, there's no venting, there's no, so substance use doesn't work to remove that stress. It just makes you temporarily feel okay, but that stress never goes anywhere. So eventually you're going to fall into that, um, that system shutdown and then kind of be in the state of really just being like emotionally unavailable. You know? Welcome to online dating. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This has been incredibly enlightening. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. That's been awesome. So Brian, what else, like kind of on a closing note, what mm-hmm. other things, like were there things you wanted to talk about we didn't get to or are there anything you want to say? Yeah. Um, so I guess the last, like maybe a couple points would be specific to men's mental health. Um, but people in general, um, is connect with other people, you know, um, say it out loud. Um, and when I think you say what you're struggling with out loud, it gives other men specifically Mm -hmm. that don't feel like we have this permission to talk about it. Uh, it gives them permission to, to really kind of talk about it. Um, I've been involved in a men's circle, a men's group for the last seven years, and it has been so life-changing to every single week we meet, you know, we talk about accountability and spirituality and just where we're at in our life, you know, and it's, it's been super changing, um, for my life. There's a couple of groups in Buffalo, you know, for the local listeners, um, the Samurai Brotherhood is, is a group that, that meets, uh, and they're going to start a couple of chapters. And it's just a group of men that are really just learning to hold space. Um, every man is another group. Um, that's started here in Buffalo as well. And again, it's holding space and, 
um, really just kind of connecting with with other people. And there's just a power in, uh, in just being part of like a men's circle that is willing to kind of go to those places that, um, you know, are, are more challenging to go to. Are there any podcasts that you listen to? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Let's just go for one. Is this amazing? (laughs) Good call. Uh, (laughs) Well played, sir. Well played. It's one of my favorites. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So Every Man is a good podcast. Um, Evolving Man is a really good podcast. Um, And... Um, there's one that's escaping me, but it's, um, Jetty Azuma is the facilitator and, um, yeah, just, I, you know, men's mental health in general, but I, I listen to a ton of mental health podcasts. Mm -hmm. That's, um, that's typically. We should always ask our guests that. Yeah. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Well, it's season two. We're still learning. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get there. But we found it now. Way to go. And how can people get in touch with you, Brian, as far as like whether it's professionally to like make appointments Mm -hmm. or like I know you are on Instagram. Are we allowed to say your social media? Yeah, absolutely. It's at Brian Costello Counselor. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you want to spell that out for everybody? Yeah, it's um, B-R-I-A-N-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O and then counselor Um, and then core mental health as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so core mental health has a handle and we both have Facebook pages. Um, so I work out of core mental health. So, um, you know, my email is on psychology today. That's where my profile is, as well as all my stuff's on corementalhealthcounseling.com. And um, if they want to make an appointment with you, what would be the way they would do that? They can call, um, probably the best way would be check online and, and they can call the number and it'll go right to me or they can actually request an appointment right on online. And there's four therapists oh, in total. So convenient. Yeah. There's four therapists and everybody has their own specialty. There's somebody that does postpartum. There's, there's actually a, a counselor there that does Reiki as oh, well. Wow. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That's pretty I, cool. I also do Reiki. Oh, wow. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, we cannot thank you enough. Yeah, thank like, you guys. thank you for coming in and like opening up this conversation mm-hmm. for our listeners and for us, really. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank yeah. you. This is incredible. Space. Yeah. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm.